You are listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical church located outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin. And in order to love our neighbors during the COVID-19 pandemic, we are currently not gathering in person, but you can join us live online on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Bethel Covenant Church. We have a live stream every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening. So we've been talking about uh, and just being honest about the situation that we're in right now as a world, right? That we're highly, uh, the world is, is highly anxious right now. It seems like every time you turn on the news, there's some new crazy thing that like a year ago you wouldn't believe would happen, right? Um, you know, there's so many things that people are worried about and whether it's what tomorrow looks like or next week or next month or next year, whether it's the, what is it going to look like when school starts again in the fall and maybe you're worried and anxious and concerned about that for your kids. Um, you know, maybe, um, maybe you're concerned for your own health right now. Maybe you have a friend or somebody that's in a, in a care center and you're worried about them uh, not getting in touch with people. And what's happening is um, we're just uh, building fear upon fear upon fear. And, and it's interesting because people react in all kinds of different ways when things change or when they're going through a hard time or when they experience fear. You know, sometimes um, we, we react in, in one fearful way or we overreact in the other way, right? We convince ourselves, um, you know, we go one side or the other. Either we convince ourselves um, to just kind of forget it. We get overwhelmed by fear and we think, forget it. I'm just not going to worry about anything anymore. And, and sometimes that works really. Sometimes we get just... Um, boxed in by it. But what, what happens is in all of our relationships, we, we start to see costs. And in, during this time, uh, we're seeing it all over. Um, not only in um, how we treat people that we don't, that we're not close to, that we don't agree with. You know, our, our arguments are, are defensive. Our disagreements are angry. And our, our, and our relationships are fraught. But, but also, uh, in our own homes, even with people that love and care about us. Uh, I know for me, I find myself, my, um, my patience for my kids is like, like way less than it ought to be. Uh, like way less, you know? And it used to be that they could kind of get, well, <laughs> get away with anything. No, I mean, it used to be that, that I, I was much quicker to smile at something ridiculous that Foster did. And now it's like, like the other night, he did not want to stay in his room. And it was just go to your room. And so then I'd hear the door crack and I'd just be like, one, two, three, four. And thank goodness he still hasn't figured out what happens at five because neither have we. Uh, so, but whatever it is, you're noticing it in relationships. I'm not, you know, and, and, and again, our kids, like Foster, he's, he's feeling it. He's acting different. He's clearly carrying something. He's not um, as easygoing as he used to be. His emotions are... are uh, right on the edge. And I think kids aren't as good as hiding it as we are, but all of us are that way. We're in the middle of this. And so um, we've been taking a moment as a church to kind of break the glass on this document that we wrote together. We wrote this document a few years ago to help us navigate um, conflict and difficult times and frustration with each other, uh, to help us choose unity um, when our world is trying to pull every seam apart. And so uh, today we're talking about the third point in what we call our relational covenant. Um, and, and it goes like this, offer grace and forgiveness by as much as possible living in peace with one another, seeking forgiveness when we sin, and extending forgiveness to others when they sin against us. 
Uh, so, you know, to sum that up, right, as a church at Bethel Covenant Church, and when we're in the middle of highly anxious, highly emotional moments, and somebody does something to us intentionally or unintentionally, and we want to, like, like, clap back, like, right away, you know, we, we stop. And we choose, and it is a choice because it's not easy, we choose to offer grace and forgiveness and extend for, and, uh, and ask for forgiveness too when we sin. And, uh, and when I read our relational covenant, I, uh, I think many people read this, they get to this point and they like it, right? It sounds great. We ought to, like, what else are we supposed to do besides offer forgiveness? Um, but as much as we like the idea, I, I know for myself, Oftentimes, as much as we like the idea of forgiveness and asking forgiveness, we, we really avoid it at all costs, right? As much as we know in our heads, like, yeah, okay, it's nice to forgive people and life would probably be easier if I didn't hold on to all the resentment that I have, uh, we, we often um, only seek forgiveness when we must. Uh, we see this in our culture all the time, right? Um, 90% of the time that you hear an apology from somebody... It's come because someone's discovered something about them that they need to apologize for. Nobody comes forward and says, hey, nobody knows about this, but I did something wrong and I'm sorry. No, right? They're only sorry when they get caught. And even for us, you know, we we tend to seek forgiveness only as that kind of escape valve. We apologize to escape somebody else's power over us. You know, have you ever uh, done the, had anybody do this to you, or, or in my case, done the, like, the non-apology apology, right? You know, like, I am so sorry if I hurt your feelings. Oh, I am so sorry that you misunderstood me. <laughs> I am so sorry um, um, that that you thought that it was bad for me to do that thing. You know, that the non-apology apology, you know, we, we um, minimize, I, I do this myself, right? We minimize our sin, our mistakes, our evil are just that. They're mistakes, they're one-time things, they're not a big deal. Uh, and on the other side, we maximize other people's wrong. You know, we, we like to offer forgiveness, and I want to offer forgiveness, but oftentimes I catch myself doing this. I offer forgiveness with, with a catch, I'm sorry. It's like, okay, well, will you ever do it again? Oh, Todd, I'm, I'm sorry. It's like, okay, I guess I'll forgive you for doing that thing. You know, we forgive others sometimes as a way to protect ourselves or even gain an advantage over someone. Oh, yes, I'll be the bigger person and forgive you again, right? Um, well, Jesus um, looks at forgiveness differently. He frames um, both asking for forgiveness and forgiving others in, in a totally different way, and he makes it not about us and our um, position relative to each other. He tells um, the two stories we're going to read. One is a positive story about the interplay of love, forgiveness, repentance, and grace, and the other is, is a negative story, sort of um, forgiveness from both sides, according to Jesus. And so we'll just start with Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Um, Peter, uh, Jesus, you know, the, the, the pluckiest of Jesus' disciples, comes to ask the question, and he's trying to get a gold star on his sheet. So he says, um, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And Peter says, Peter's trying, he's going for that, the gold star. He says, uh, should I forgive them up to seven times? 
Can you imagine that? If somebody you know that you care about that supposedly loves you does something wrong, sins against you, this isn't a mistake, they seven times in a row, you forgive them. Imagine that. Imagine, anybody, have you ever had somebody do something to you over and over and over again and you're so frustrated to it and you know, should you really forgive that many times? That seems like too much. That's what Peter's going for. He's like, this seems like a bit much. I'm going to shoot really high so I get the gold star, and Jesus thinks I'm super spiritual. Um, but Jesus says this. He says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And it's not that Jesus has a slightly higher number. Um, you know, seven is, and Peter's using it this way too, seven is that number of completeness, that number of wholeness. And so Jesus is saying, you should be forgiving people um, a full measure more than you possibly imagined, a million times more than you imagined you should. Um, and then Jesus tells him a story. He says, therefore, uh, with this in mind, 77 times, the kingdom of heaven, this is the world that Jesus is creating as he's walking the earth, is like a king. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Uh, so this means the king has a bunch of uh, people under him, and they all owe him money for various reasons. Um, he wants to settle accounts with his servants. So, so the king is going down his ledger, and he's meeting with all his servants. And he's trying to get the money that he's owed. And so he arrives at a man who owed him uh, 10,000 talents, some of your translations say. Mine just says bags of gold. Um, but, but a talent is, is like the highest currency denomination in, in Jesus' day. So, so it's like Jesus is, might as well be saying, um, this guy owed him like a million billion dollars. Like, like in Jesus' day, 10,000 talents was like more money than anybody could conceivably have, okay? And so as you're hearing this, uh, the two things that should be in your mind and that are in Peter's mind are, one, what kind of person gets indebted to that extent, what kind of person, this is like if I took out a trillion dollar loan and you'd be like, okay, what kind of person takes out a trillion dollar loan? What could he have spent the money on? This is what people are wondering. You know, what was the servant doing with 10,000 talents? Um, so that's the one thing. And then the other thing should become clear too. What kind of king lets somebody get that indebted to them? You know, it's just, it's a ridiculous situation. It's, it's more money. It doesn't even, um, it doesn't even say um, uh, that, you know, the servant might not be able to pay. Like, it's assumed. It just says this in the next verse, 25. It says, since he was not able to pay, you know, like if I owned, owed you a trillion dollars, since I'm not able to pay you a trillion dollars, uh, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all the rest um, and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Um, so, sorry, you don't have enough. You know, we're for foreclosing on everything. And this is the ancient world, so we're not just foreclosing on your house and your car. We're foreclosing on your life and your kids and your spouse. And the servant uh, is ruined, right? And he falls on his knees before the king. He says, be patient with me, and I will pay back everything. One, right, we've already acknowledged this is impossible, but uh, apparently this servant's got big dreams. He says, pay back, uh, be patient with me, and I will pay back everything. And the king looks at his servant and takes pity on him. He cancels his debt and lets him go. You know, this is a, a beautiful story of forgiveness. What is it? Can you imagine, you know, somebody forgiving a debt like that? I've got a, um, we're working on, on Aaron's student loans right now, and we're getting really close. Let me tell you, I've talked to you all about this before on at church. Uh, we're getting really close, but mine are still kind of looming out there in the, in the horizon. It's like if somebody came to me and said, your debt is forgiven, I would throw the biggest party in the world. And so the servant um, 
He's delighted, you'd think, but instead this is what happens. It says, when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, right? Seven trillion dollars to twenty dollars. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins and he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. You get where Jesus is going here? He begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, you can imagine if you're watching this, and and that's who Jesus turns to, the other servants. He says, when the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged. They went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servants in and said, "Uh, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Jesus finishes, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister for your heart. The unforgiving servant clearly did not understand the debt that he had been um, forgiven of. Because as soon as his life wasn't on the line, he turned on someone else. So that's the negative example. That's kind of the, the, the painful example. And so let's hold that in our head. Jesus uh, tells another story in Luke. Uh, this story happens right after, um, and that's that Luke 7, 1, verse 40. Uh, this story happens uh, right after this woman comes in. Uh, and you probably know the story. She comes into a house where Jesus is staying and she breaks this jar of perfume, this expensive perfume, and pours it on his feet. And she like wipes his feet with her hair. Um, to, and this is a way of her showing Christ's love in, in the way that she, um, she knew how to. Um, but the people in the house know that this woman um, has kind of a backstory, <laughs> has, has a little bit of a background, and, and they're thinking, Simon the Pharisee is thinking, you know, if you knew who that woman was, Jesus, you would not have let her touch you. She's bad, she's bad news. And so this is Jesus' response to that in verse 40. It says, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Jesus says, let me tell you a story. Uh, two people owed money to a certain moneylender, One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one will love him more? Simon replied, like you might, uh, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came to your house and you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, a a kiss of greeting, but, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Jesus says, this woman is aware of what she's been forgiven, and the evidence for that is in the love that she shows me. Jesus is saying that the level of your debt on one side, right, and your understanding of that debt relate directly to, to your appreciation when that debt is forgiven. 
If you don't understand the debt that you owe, if somebody had forgiven, back to student loans again, think about this a lot, clearly. If somebody had forgiven my student loans when I graduated from college before a single bill had come, I would not have understood what they did for me because I never grappled with the weight of paying something back over a long period of time. If we're unable to grapple with the weight of our sin, we're unable to understand the beauty of forgiveness. Jesus is saying the level of your debt and your understanding of it relates directly to how much you'll appreciate it when it's forgiven. So our ability then to turn that forgiveness around on others, our ability to show love to others as people forgiven by Christ comes directly from our ability to know and own our own sin. Uh, We will never be able to offer forgiveness to other people. We will never be able to offer forgiveness to other people until we can accept how much we have been forgiven. Because sin's power... Uh, is, is in the darkness. Sin's power tells us it's not a big deal. Nobody needs to know. Let's keep that secret. Sin's power is in excusing, concealing, and minimizing our sin. And until we're able to own that, we'll never be able to share that. I will never be able to really experience forgiveness until we can admit that we need forgiveness. Um, a, a video that I shared on the Facebook page, I'll share it again with you. There's actually three of them that talk about, um, <clears throat> through this awesome resource called The Bible Project, and they talk about three different kinds of evil, three different kinds of human evil as described in the Old and New Testament. Because uh, we tend to think of the Bible like sin or evil as just you know, doing bad things in one moment and, and just those moments together, but it's, it's way bigger than that. I encourage you to take a look at that video. Um, <clears throat> I'm just gonna talk kind of from a 10,000 view level of that and you can kind of get the details there, but uh, the video talks about it and the Bible has a lot of different words for human evil, but the three that are used most commonly in Hebrew um, are kata, um, avon, and pesha, okay? It doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. Uh, kata is usually translated in your Bible as sin. Uh, in Greek, it's, it's hamartia. It doesn't, uh, you know, again, so when your Bible says sin, there's one word behind that. It's kata. And, uh, and, and that kind of sin is the sin that most of us think about in, in church. It's moral failure, right? If you break uh, one of the Ten Commandments, if you steal, uh, you know, you steal from Target, you sinned. You kata, okay? Uh, so that's, that's one of them. The, the Bible talks about how oftentimes we you know, we do this, right? We do something that harms God or breaks our relationship with God or that harms others, and that's, that's sin. That's moral failure, right? That's kata. Uh, the second one, a pesha, is, is like relationship failure. So if uh, moral failure is stealing from target, relationship failure is um, breaking somebody else's trust. Uh, so, right, so it's uh, kata, it's sin to steal from target. Um, it's pesha to steal from... Uh, your neighbor or your sibling, right? Your sibling ought to be able to trust you that you're not going to come into their room and steal something from them. And when you do that, not only do you commit a sin, you also break that relationship. Um, The word that our Bible usually translates um, pesha as is, is trespass or transgression. So when the Bible says, you know, your sins and your transgressions, Um, they really are are talking about two different things. Um, Your sins are your moral failures to love God and love others that 
You know, God has expects that of us, and your transgressions are the times that you've broken a relationship, when you've violated somebody's trust, when you've done something to somebody else that was wrong, right? So stealing from Target is, is sin. Stealing from your neighbor is a transgression because they ought to be able to trust you. And there's relationship damage that comes out. It's a different kind of sin. Uh, the third kind, avon, um, your Bible usually translates as iniquity, which um, nobody, I mean, I, I never knew what that word meant. I couldn't have told you what that meant for anything. But, but avon, iniquity, uh, kind of means, um, it's sort of like uh, the literal translation. If you watch the video, they, they do a great description of this. It's, it's like when something is, is bent, like if you have a, a, a strong, uh, you know, like a big, long piece of metal and you bend it in half, it's, it's a bone. It's bent. Um, and so uh, when that comes to our relationships or our um, relationship to God and sin, it means kind of when our conscience is bent. When we convince ourselves by twisting uh, in all kinds of ways that the things that we're doing that we really know are evil are actually good. That's, that's avon. Avon is, is bigger than just individuals, too. It's, it's also the word that's used when Israel uh, disregards um, the poor in their community, when they create a system where uh, people are, are hurt and, and destroyed by God's kingdom by Israel instead of being lifted up by it, when, when the courts are unfair, that's avon. So like with our stealing example, if you steal from Target, that's sin. If you steal from your neighbor, that's, um, that's a transgression. And if your neighbor takes you to court, but you buy off the judge, that's avon. That's evidence of the system's corruption and bent nature. Uh, so there's, there's moral failure, relational failure, and kind of moral, relational, and institutional twisting. You know, when we tie ourselves up in knots to convince ourselves that the things that we know are evil that we're benefiting from uh, are actually just, just fine. And, and I don't uh, go through this to, like, make everybody, like, feel super bad. That's not the point. Um, but I think it's important to understand that sin is bigger than a mistake. It's bigger than I did one thing wrong one time and I'll try to be better in the future or at least I'm not as bad as somebody else. It's, it's a part of everything we do and everywhere we go. We run into Avon and Pesha and Kata in our daily lives. We participate in corrupt and unjust um, actions towards others. We rationalize our behaviors. We break our relationships and we convince ourselves, well, it's not really sin. You know, I just you know, didn't fulfill that contract. That's not quite the same thing as, as sin, but, but it is. You know, this is, this is how the Bible talks about, about evil. And I think this picture is important because it helps us understand that our sin and the impacts of that sin, um, they kind of spill out into all of our relationships and in our communities. Because according to the Bible, all evil, all sin is destructive. And all sin is rooted in this partnership where we uh, join with spiritual evil to decide for ourselves what we think is good and what we think is evil. And usually when we're deciding for ourselves what's good and what's evil, we do it in a selfish, selfish way, right? Um, and all sin, it leads, it leads to death and broken trust. And, and again, I don't say this to make us feel bad, but I say this because we have to remember that we will never be able to offer somebody forgiveness when they sin or break relationship with us until we can accept what we've been forgiven of. Because when it comes to sin, most people would rather walk in darkness. 
You know, it's not hard to, to find, um, find our own sin, but it's much harder to admit it. When we're faced with something that we've done that's hurt somebody, we, we look away. We excuse ourselves. We blame them. We do everything we can to minimize our own need for forgiveness in that situation. I remember when I was growing up, um, the, my way of doing with this is I would try really hard morally. I'd try and be a good person all the time. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to do the things I'm supposed to do. And then when I saw my own failures, I would minimize them as much as I could for as long as I could. Or I would look at other people that I were, was convinced were worse than me to make myself feel a little bit better. Uh, but eventually what would happen is I would just sort of feel crushed and paralyzed by it. You know, I'd be like, I can't believe I did that. I know I shouldn't have done that. And then you just, you just go into despair. And then for me, despair would lead back into trying harder, which would lead into justifying my actions, which would lead into me uh, blaming others. Um, you know, we do this all the time. We minimize or we misdirect. And, and I think, in my experience, I think the, the evil one loves this cycle. Like, this is awesome um, for, for the evil one because when I'm trying to convince myself that I'm fine, uh, I'm not only feeling guilty and miserable and trapped, but I'm also not doing anything better. And when I'm trying really hard to, to be good, I can do that for a little while, but I just don't have the strength to do it. And oftentimes it's that cycle, right? You focus on others and their problems. You minimize your own problems, and then you start over and try again. But what Jesus offers us is this. Uh, he offers us... Um, a view at our debt, at our sin, the ways that we've fallen short. And when we look at that, even for a moment, honestly, it becomes clear that we have hurt other people, that we've abused other people, that we've rejected and disregarded other human beings made in God's image for all kinds of selfish reasons. And when we look at that honestly, it can be crushing, and it probably should be a little crushing. When you think about how sin multiplies in families, how the sins that I'm committing right now and the ways that I'm not right uh, with God and my family is going to impact my kids and their kids for generations. When you think about how our corporate sin uh, just continues to harm and spread and cause problems, it can be enough to leave us hopeless. When we're honest about the ways that we fail and break trust and corrupt our ideals to get what we want, it ought to leave us breathless. Less. And we get a choice. Because what we want to do is forget about it. What we want to do is move on. What we want to do is convince ourselves that, yeah, those things are bad, but other people did worse. But instead, uh, Jesus does something different. Um, we, maybe we want Jesus to say, it's okay. It's okay, Todd. Those things aren't such a big deal. You're fine. No big deal. Uh, maybe we want to do that. Uh, but when Jesus came, he, he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, it's okay that you sinned. It's okay that you hurt that person. It's okay that you benefited from that corrupt system at the expense of somebody else. It's okay, no big deal. Other people did worse. Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't say that. He refuses to pat us on the head and tell us that the sin that we've committed, the harm that we've caused in our relationships uh, are no big deal. Uh, he refuses our excuses. He refuses our reasons. He refuses our twisting. Uh, Jesus uh, looks at us and he refuses to weigh the good against the evil and compare us to other people and see who's, who's maybe not as bad as somebody else. No, instead, uh, he does none of that. And he, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't smile and say, oh, Todd, we all mess up. All have sinned. But he also refuses to throw the book at us. 
He refuses to stand at a distance from heaven and destroy us for the evil that we do to ourselves, to God, and to others. He doesn't minimize, but he doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, Jesus does something totally different. Instead of writing off the loan, he takes the full force, the full consequences of my evil into his body, and he carries it to the cross. Because though he was totally unstained by iniquity and transgression and sin, he carried their consequences of death for our sake. Instead, he allowed himself to be crushed by the tremendous weight of our sin. Paul puts it like this in Romans 5, 6 through 8. He says, you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would someone die for a righteous person, a good person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, crushed under the load of our own wrongdoing, reaping the consequences for our own hatred and jealousy and selfishness and evil, Christ died for us. Because God does not turn a blind eye to sin or paper over it, but instead he covers it with his blood. We are invited, we are invited freely to admit our sin before God and not be crushed by it. Not to excuse it or hide it or pretend it's not a big deal, but also not to be defined by it any longer. So whatever that thing is that you do or you've done, That thing that nags at your conscience that you want to say is probably fine. That thing that you regret and look away from. That thing that you do right now and you're busy justifying and explaining away. If you conceal it forever, it will destroy you, but you don't have to. Because Christ died to cover that sin. And he rose to give you a new heart and a new life And you don't have to make excuses any longer. So I want to invite you, if you're watching, if you're here, to do that with me today. To take those things that you'd much rather say are not a big deal or explain away or brush off or let Jesus maybe close his eyes to and forget about, but instead uh, to admit those things and, and receive forgiveness, to admit and accept that Christ carried those sins for you to the cross. So would you pray with me right now? Father God, my sin, my transgressions, my iniquity, the evil that I benefit from, do to others, and participate in are enormous. It's so big, I can't ignore it any longer, and I'm tired of being bent, corrupted, and crushed by it. For the sake of your son, Jesus, forgive me. By your Holy Spirit, make me new. In your name, amen. My friends, if you have prayed that prayer, if you prayed that prayer today online, I want to invite you to to say so in the check-in or in the comments. I'd love to reach out to you and talk to you. If you prayed that prayer some other time in your life, if you prayed that prayer again and remembered what God had done for you and confessed again the ways that you continue to fail instead of concealing and hiding, I want you to know something, that you have been forgiven much. Now may you go and forgive others. 
May we live as if that's true. May we invite God to reveal our sin to us through his Holy Spirit and through others. May we be people who repent and ask forgiveness and do what we can to make it right. And when someone wrongs you, and they will wrong you, remember the debt that has been paid on your behalf. Because we have been forgiven much. May we forgive others. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can find out more about us and join our live streams at facebook.com slash Bethel Covenant Church. Thanks and have a great week.